0: This episode is supported by IRL, an original podcast from Mozilla, made for people who are into or build AI and people who develop tech policies. Listen to Mozilla IRL wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Expansive Podcast, where we explore the frontiers of personal growth, business innovation, and technology. We believe that growth and progress comes from expanding our minds, exploring new possibilities, and embracing change. My name is Eric Kruger, and as always, I'm joined by my co-pilot and co-host, Mr. John Sane, finding himself in Dubai. John, how are you doing, Eric?
0: Co-pilot. I like co-pilot. I think that's a much better...
1: Co-pilot.
0: pilot yeah. is fantastic. Uh, I, I like that. I prefer that to my ever-elegant, handsome, and stylish uh, co-host. <laughs> I'll go with co-pilot. Thank you. What's happening, Eric? Uh, what's going on? Great to be back on the pod. It's been uh, a few weeks uh, that we've taken off for obvious reasons. And if you've listened to the pod, you know why, yeah. but uh, great to be back. And we've got some really exciting things to be talking about. How is the fair Cape? All I see, all I see, Eric, and I can't can't lie, I'm slightly jealous, is summer has arrived in Cape Town. And it is looking delicious.
1: Beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful summer. Beautiful summer. Uh, Yeah, you can feel it. You can feel it. So, you know, where we stay in Somerset West, um, it's a little bit out of Cape Town. Mm. But we were driving to you know, the, like the past two weeks have been a bit of a blur and mm. so like our routines have been thrown completely mm. out and we've ended up like at the beach on like a Wednesday and a Thursday afternoon uh, where normally we just kind of go over weekends and we went on a on a Thursday afternoon to go grab like a slice of pizza because there's a New York mm. slice pizza by the the ocean now and it was packed it was like wow, yes, you, you couldn't yes, move you could like yes. yeah. so we were like yeah summer is here and summer in cape town is something very very oh, special
0: so fantastic i'm going I'm, I'll, be, I'll be back in mm. jan for a week so i'm really looking forward to that um i have a big week ahead of me i'm going to be in cape town tomorrow for 18 hours and then back to dubai to speak and then to sri lanka so i'll be i'll be Enjoying uh, 12 hours of summer in Cape Town in uh, Stellenbosch. So I'm looking forward to that. As short as it is, but it's always a special time in Cape Town.
1: And everywhere you're going is is pretty hot at the moment. Dubai is hot. Well, it's winter. It's winter.
0: But Sri Lanka and Dubai in winter are are a pleasure. Um, They're far too hot in summer. And then obviously Cape Town in summer. So um, all of it's pleasant weather. Very, very pleasant weather. I was actually looking Mm. at the weather while packing yesterday. And it's all pretty much actually pretty much the same. Everywhere's pretty much the same, right across all three mm. categories, you know? Looking forward to it. Do
1: you just have a like a standard sort of uh go gear sort of setup? Like you have like your three t-shirts and your two pants and like your one thing that you just pack over and over and over, or do you like go through it every single time and go like, okay, I'm gonna wear this and that and I know you, you know, you care very much about how you look on stage.
0: So <laughs> And so what is do you, that, Eric. What is that process and like that. So, you, you, you know? so do you, Eric. So do you. look, I, you know what always is happening is I've always got a suit with me, but I you know, I'm hardly wearing the suit. Like the suit is not big, yeah, because nobody requires nobody in the audience is in the suit. So I always judge it like that. So if I'm going to an event and people are dressed up, I'll wear the suit. But otherwise I'm wearing trainers, pants and t shirts. And that's how actually I'm speaking across all the stages that I'm speaking on. So I always have the same. I mean, I've got three or four pants and I've got all these t-shirts from the California called Golden Thread. And that's all I wear. I've got two trainers and uh, three pants and uh, different color t-shirts and maybe one or two jerseys. And that's it. That's that's all I have. Actually, that's actually all I have. I don't have anything else. So that's all I wear. <laughs> are
1: there, Are there any sort of travel hacks that you've developed over time that's like a, a go-to travel hack for you?
0: Oh, I think we did a pod on it, but the only hacks I have is hydration, gut health, and alkalinity. The minute one of those pops out, you can start getting sick because you're obviously putting your body under a little bit more pressure than otherwise. So I always train when I arrive at a hotel. That's very important. Just to ground, get my feet onto the earth, make sure I'm hydrating like an absolute champ. And the minute I start eating anything that gets me bloated or messes with my gut health, I'm in trouble because... That is an immediate first thing your body's talking to straight take strain and then obviously alkalinity and acidity to make, to make sure you're getting your green juices in and that sort of thing so as long as you're doing those things you're maintaining that sort of uh, equilibrium i think you're good to go whatever the case may be so that's hmm. kind of been the practice but
1: nothing from a, a packing point of view like you don't have any well, i've got uh, those
0: i've got those like, like brick bags like you know the the ones okay. you zip so you you pack your yeah so sometimes i pack outfit per outfit into one of those brick bags or I just put t-shirts in and then whatever the case. So I, it, it's very compartmentalized. So my whole suitcase, when you open it, it's just bricks, bricks of clothing rather than packing any clothes in. So I, I find that really, really helpful. Mm. All right. Well, good luck
1: with your week of traveling. Um, I'm sure it's going to be fruitful and your audiences will love hearing from you. Thank you. you. Um, when do you, when do you stop working for the year, by the way? We're recording here on the 13th of November,
0: 2023. I, and I go to Tony Robbins on the 6th of December. And uh, oh, okay. yes, and then straight to Costa Rica to do Easter and then go to India. I've been invited to go to the Kashmir mountains with uh, good friends of mine. And uh, I'm going to go sit up in the mountains for from the 25th to the nice, 2nd man. of December. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's okay. kind of, yeah, December's taken um,
1: care of. Which Tony Robbins program is this? Like it's called Date with Destiny. Destiny.
0: Date with Destiny. Date with Destiny. Yeah, 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 Date with Destiny. Look, I bought it in 2019 and this year was the last okay. year I could use it. So I had to use it. Look, I'm not a a huge fan. I think he's done excellent things. I think some of his work's a bit dated. I mean, I do speak about the fact that I think psychology is outdated and it's all neuroscience now. And he's still psychology. I think it's got some relevance, but I think when you start to understand Mm. neuroscience and repatterning the way your brain actually operates, changing the hardware, you start to realize that's all you actually need to do and then everything else looks after itself, right? And that's really what we're talking about today in some way is accessing that neuroscience and that genius. And so today's topic is all about accessing our genius. How's that segue? How's that segue, Eric? Yeah, I
1: like it. It it. It was so smooth. It's not not quite an (laughs) Eric-level segue, but it's it's all right. It's all right. I'll give it to you. I'm learning. I'm
0: learning. I'm learning. So this week's pod is all about a study that has been doing its rounds on social media. In fact, some people have sent me on social media, but it's a study that was done in 1967, which is more relevant today than I think ever before. And it's very much in line with the way I think about accessing new types of intelligence for what's required for the future. So the study was conducted by NASA in 1967, and they were very, very keen to find more geniuses to hire to work for NASA. So they hired a, a very well-known strategist, futurist author kind of guy at these names, Guy Lundy. Oh, no, no, not Guy Lundy. Anyway, I can't remember his name. And He did the study and he found that 98% of five-year-old humans were geniuses. And he tracked these kids. And by the time they finished school, when they were 17, 18, 2% of them were geniuses. And so we have to start to realize that as we move into a world of ubiquitous AI, and we've now got hyper intelligence at literally our fingertips, literally, with the launch of GPTs last week, Thursday, where we started to see through voice activation, you're able to create a GPT that is able to do travel arrangements for you, philosophical papers for you, nutritional values for you, reminders of. Workout, I mean, you name it. Like this thing can do anything you want it to do through voice activation, no programming. So you have this opportunity to build these super apps just by talking to it. And on the very same day, which was funny enough, 11-11, um, last week, Friday. Uh, was it? No, that was set. No, no, it was 11, 11. And we had Humane Pin also launch, which is a voice activated cell phone Uh, made for AI with one of the original Apple employees moving away and creating this screenless phone, which is your companion with a great camera and voice activation and the beginning really of the intimacy economy. So there's so much of this going on and it was almost as if there was a tipping point last week where we started to see the beginnings of hyperintelligence available to us everywhere. Now, the big problem, the big, big problem is that our brains are trained for algorithmic intelligence, not genius. And algorithmic intelligence is about fitting into a system, not fitting out. In fact, if you were too connected to your genius at school, they would call you a troublemaker and a rebel. And because you were too curious asking questions that were outside of the system, they would send you to the principal's office. And if you're in South Africa, you would get something called jacks which I got many of, which is, you know, with a wooden plank, you'd get clapped on your bum, which was never a good, um, and I got many of them. It's because I'm a genius, Eric. That's why, because I'm a genius. No, no. So I hated following the system, and um, I was so super terrible at school. Um, I'm surprised I even got through. But this is the problem that we're having, is that schools have created people to fit into a system with algorithmic intelligence, and today, literally last week, we started to see the disintegration of the value of algorithmic intelligence as it becomes commoditized. And now what we have to start doing is accessing our genius becomes the unique factor and the currency of how we're going to be showing up and adding value to the world ahead of us. So there's a lot here. We can go very deep, very wide on the subject, but we have seen an inflection point, And I think it's important for us to chat about it and unpack it.
1: Yeah, love it. Uh, before we talk about accessing your genius and, and how to actually do that, because it sounds it, it sounds like a very romantic idea to be able to do that. And I think if you ask people, you know, what is your genius, most people won't have a good answer for that. Uh, so before we get to that, and before we dive into that, um, I want to quickly just come back to these two things that have happened. Uh, the launch of GPTs and Humane AI pin. Um, just for everyone to understand, so... Obviously, we had ChatGPT come out and it was this large language model that you could ask anything of. And uh, over time, what we've seen is that people develop certain prompts to start making it more specific and ways to get more out of the model because you can prompt it in certain ways and you'll get certain answers. You can prompt it in better and different ways and you'll get better and different answers. And so we've seen hundreds of these manuals that have been developed and sold on how to better prompt ChatGPT. And now with the launch of GPT, what has happened is now you can customize this model for your own use. So I've actually done that because I'm running a leadership lab uh, event on Wednesday night. So I created a GPT and it's actually very easy. Like I've played with it before. Yeah, I
0: have. I have. I've watched a couple tutorials. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's super easy. So you go into chat GPT, you go into the explore tab. And then it asks you, okay, so what do you want to create a GPT around? So like, what do you want to customize this model to do for you? So I said, I want it to, to be customized so that it can help me think through and brainstorm for leadership events. And so now I have a leadership lab GPT and its entire function and focus is around how do we create better events? So what it does is it just, it contextualizes the model instead of you having to think about, you know, mm-hmm. prompting and all of that. So it's preloaded and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's incredible, and what's going to happen is people are going to be selling access to their GPTs over time, and so you'll almost not use ChatGPT as a general function; you'll just use kind of the apps, the ChatGPT apps, in a way. In a way, um, so that's the one thing. Did you want to add anything to that?
0: Uh, no. Um, only thing okay. is is you can open it up for uh, public use, and you can for get anyone, a yeah. percentage. Yeah, you get a percentage, uh, every time you, mm. you know, they pay you for every time anybody pays uh, uh, uses it.
1: And then the second thing that you mentioned was the Humane AI pin. Mm-hmm. And I was actually just on the website just before our call. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so, I, I, I don't know where I fall on it yet. Um, mm. One thing I know is that they did a horrible presentation of the pin. Like, mm. I, did you that video was so boring. I, I was like, how are we living in a this, in this stage where like tech demos are always so exciting and then these guys come up with this like revolutionary thing in their opinion. But it's like the most boring, like monotonic, like, conversation that I've ever seen um, to introduce this exciting technology
0: did look I, I think I think he's a very technically minded guy I don't Jeez. think he's a very charismatic guy the guy that did that no, his, definitely wife, not. his wife was much more charismatic I think it's apparently it's his wife oh, but really? I think that firstly remember that we are in the first iteration doesn't make mm. quite sense we also don't know how not to have a screen so that the whole point of this It seems weird to us. So I think there might be a combination of still using a screen and having this in the meanwhile as we transition. So I think we will also evolve to a point whereby we might have glasses on as well as a humane with a ring or watch with all this ambient intelligence around us so that we don't have to carry a phone. So this is step one. And then mm. what we'll have is, the, is, is us becoming more used to operating in a world that doesn't have an iPhone attached to it or an Android phone attached to it. So, yes, I agree. It is weird. It doesn't seem practical. It does, it, all of those things, you're absolutely right. But let's extrapolate one year into the future, and all of a sudden you'll start to see a whole bunch of new ambient technologies attached to it and also us becoming used to not using a screen all the time.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that we are seeing that push anyway. So whether that's through this or through those uh, Ray-Bans from Meta. Yes. like, mm. And those are looking really cool, hey? Like, have you seen the the use cases of those? So yeah. I do think there's a push towards uh, where a future where we're going to be using less um, screens and more just being able to interact with the world through tech in different kind of ways. All right, so what you're saying then is that because of all of this, uh, how we operate in the world has to change. We we know our intelligence is no longer valued because intelligence is everywhere and it's it's much smarter than us. It's much faster than us. It has access to way more information condensed in ways that we can never even fathom or try to to approach. And so we need to rely more on genius and we need to be able to access genius more. So what does that look
0: like? So let's firstly understand that and I say this to my audiences often. So if anybody from any of my audiences is what, listening to this, you'll know I did this. Is So who woke up this morning and tried to push further than, uh, harder than a tractor? Anybody? Anyway, hands up. Anybody, anybody stronger than a tractor here? No, no, obviously not. Did anybody jump out of the car and try and run uh, against their car? And in my new book, I actually write this line. as like, <laughs> like you're, that, not, yeah. you're not faster than a Ferrari. God forbid. You're not even faster than a banged up old Beetle. Forget about a Ferrari. <laughs> like, there's no comparison physicality to physicality when it comes to machines. And mm. so we've already evolved out of the agricultural era where physicality was by far the most important thing that we had. Now we're into the IQ era, and now we have IQ being disrupted. Now we worry because, well, my God, what do we have if we don't have IQ? But this is exactly what agricultural people thought, right? But let's remember that agriculture lasted 10,000 years. The Industrial revolutions lasted 200 years. So it's really just 200 years of algorithmic intelligence that we've got within us that now we need to start evolving. Now, let's understand that PQ was the skill for 10,000 years, physicality quotient. IQ was the skill for 200 years now we're going to AQ which is adaptability quotient now let's understand what adaptability looks like because adaptability is really about how quickly can you unlearn to relearn to solve complex problems in the world and this is us moving from a job economy to a problem solving economy and as we move into this problem solving economy your ability to solve complex problems on the go by you learning and unlearning as quickly as possible becomes your magic skill now If you're highly educated in a type of subject, guess how much adaptability you have? A zero, because you're an accountant, 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 accountant. You don't have the opportunity to unlearn that, to relearn that, because you've actually spent years developing the highways of thoughts that have created your skill of algorithmic intelligence. So in order for us to be truly adaptable, what's really important is that we first and foremost access our purpose, our passion, and our genius, because once you've accessed that, now your ability to move within that frame becomes very, very simple because now you're in your own flow state. You're not trying to fit into a system that's not yours, but you're actually fitting into your own God-given skill set and talent, which all of us have. Now, the best way for us to think about genius is following the golden thread of curiosity, And what this curiosity does for us, it leads us down a road or a tunnel that only we are curious about. Now, if you think just about my career, my career is made up of futurism, business strategy, psychology, and neuroscience. Guess who else has that unique factor around? Nobody. It's my unique factor. It's my curiosity. And often people ask me, where do you get the time to research? I'm like, my whole life's a research because I'm constantly researching. Why? Because I could think of nothing better to do. Nothing energizes me more than following those subjects. What does it mean? It means I'm adaptable to apply my genius. So I'm able to continuously unlearn and relearn, unlearn and relearn because why? I'm energized by the fact of following my excitement, my curiosity, which ultimately gets me to access my genius. Now, last piece on this is that the Romans spoke about the fact that we've all got the genie eye just above us. It's a pocket of genius that every single human has. Steve Jobs in his Stanford University speech spoke about the fact that if you haven't found why you are here, stop doing what you're doing, find why you're here, and then start. Because once you do that, everything becomes easy or easier. It's not about being hard, but it's because you become now more into your flow state. But lots of things to remember that when commoditization of something happens it moves to zero cost now this is called the zero marginal cost society and it is the commoditization and digitization of intelligence and services this has already happened to communication to photos to um, entertainment um, to uh, uh, music it's happening across the board now what's going to happen next is the digitization and commoditization of transportation, power generation, computing power. And now because of ChatGPT, which is, remember, this was launched one year ago. Remember, it was November Mm. last year that ChatGPT Mm. got launched. And now one year later, they've just taken it up a notch and gone into GPTs. Now we have the commoditization of algorithmic intelligence. So this is really where we start to see the absolute necessity of your uniqueness being your currency, Because people won't be paying for you to be just like a computer or just like 2 million other people who have got the same degree as you. Now it's about your unique factor of combining different subjects, different processes, different ideas into something that nobody else is doing, which makes you more valuable than ever before. So this is by far the most important thing we could be doing for ourselves and for our kids is getting them to understand where their genius lies how quickly can they access it, and how quickly can they learn and unlearn within the paradigm of the mm. genius. Um,
1: I'm wondering, so you gave this definition of uh, genius being following the golden thread of your curiosity. Um, do you know when they did that study, do you know what their definition of genius was when they said 98% genius, then yeah. 2% genius? Like yeah. what was it? How did they... Look at that, or measure that, or
0: I don't know. It's a very good question. I've thought about it myself. Um, what I do know is, again, if you think about kids in their five, their brains are highly malleable. They're very playful, and they're one hundred percent themselves. I mean, you can't—the authenticity of who they are at five—it's just pure. And then they go into school, and then they get panel-beated into a type of person, right? So I think it's. I think if you think about it on a broad term, it's uniqueness, it's expression of authenticity, which is then killed and stopped uh, as you start school. So I would imagine it's within those frames, but I think it's a very good question. I do need to look yeah. that up. Yeah.
1: And even the, I mean, even the curiosity aspect of it as well is that um, in many ways the way that we are taught is just that there are certain answers to certain things, and you know you don't have to go and explore beyond that. It's like here's the answer to this question. Um, Even the way we do tests, like testing, you know, it's like, okay, there's always going to be one specific answer to one specific question. And I think that where we find ourselves today, when you look at a complex challenge or a complex issue that you are facing, there are often multiple ways of solving that thing. And so kind of indoctrinating people to think that there's one way of solving one specific thing uh, might also then take away from that creativity, might take away from them being curious about it. And I can see how that then ultimately impacts their ability to be um, accessing their best, to to be operating in their zone of genius.
0: Absolutely. That's exactly it, is that school gets you to follow a framework and genius has almost got no framework. It's your uniqueness. And if you think about somebody who's genius, and if we call somebody genius in this day and age, they're very, very unique in their expression. They Mm. just don't fit into anybody else's systemization. So higher education, uh, following the system, getting you ready for a job, these are all starting to fade because the system itself is commoditized as well as the system itself because of the commoditization is crumbling because there's no profit anymore mm. when you start in mm. living in a commoditized world. And a great example, a very simple example of this is, have you watched Chef's Table and Netflix? Mm. Such a great show, right? Love and it. what yeah. is it about? It's about the world's best chefs. And what do all those chefs do? Have a very unique way of thinking about food. Otherwise, they mm. wouldn't be the world's best chefs. Mm. So what they had to do, pretty much all their stories was kind of in the same light. It was, I was really wanted to be a cook. I went to Paris. I knocked on some hotels, restaurants. I eventually got in. I was a dishwasher with the world's top chef. I learned with him. I worked myself to death for like six years. Then I went back to where I come from. I try to apply his thinking and cooking into my own market or country. It was a disaster. I had to go through a whole process of self-discovery. I came out of that process of self-discovery realizing the way I want to do food. I started doing food the way I want to do food. But bing bada bang i become a top mm. chef in the world and here you are interviewing mm. me.
1: That's genius.
0: We we yeah. wait years and spend mm. thousands of dollars to go and eat at a genius' expression of food. This is a simple example that we all follow and understand.
1: Yeah, I love that. When you if you had to ask me, you know, what is genius? I, I think the the natural thing that like you think about is Albert Einstein. We, IQ. Like genius is yeah. IQ, you know? Yeah. But then when you when you push that a bit further, you realize that. Oh, well, we we often call people genius who break the rules, who do something different. And it is then this, like, you watch a a great sportsman, you'll call them genius in how they Mm, execute, right? Exactly. Because, so there's a mastery component to that. And then you'll look at the chef's table, guys, and you'll see that, yes, there's a mastery, but there's also Mm. like doing something different. And so the creativity and aspect of that is genius. Yeah. And so genius is more than just the the thinking. It is, I think what you said is 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 good, the expression of your authenticity.
0: Yeah. The expression of your flavor,
1: your way of doing things, your view of the world that is informed by having gone through other experiences Mm. and finally realizing that oh, like this is how I want to showcase and present this Mm. to the world.
0: Mm. Look, I, I think if you if you again take a zoom out, right? And you take a look at the way schools are built. They're built in straight lines, line in a queue, sit in a classroom and that's a queue. Like, Like it's straight lines. The classrooms are numbered, A, B, C, D. Everything's linear. Everything is systemized. Without even thinking, we've been put into these systematic processes. And what it's brought about is highly, highly efficient, profitable businesses, but incredibly unhappy humans. So we can see incredibly unhappy humans because we have more capital in the world than ever before. We have more convenience in the world than ever before. And we have the highest levels of anxiousness and depression than ever before. And you can see this because the pharmaceutical industries are cleaning up. I mean, Pfizer made, I don't know how many billions of dollars last year. If a population is so happy, why are we so heavily medicated and why are we so heavily drunk and why are we so heavily pawned up? What what's happened is that, We are unhappy within the efficiencies and within the conforming to a system. Humans don't want to conform. It's not part of who we are, but we brought into a society that wants us to conform. But now what we have to realize is that this is exactly what's required is the opposite of it is authenticity, individuality, and genius. That's now going to start to see us become much more expressive and much more successful by following that golden thread. And again, when I watched that GPT and I watched Humane, I was like, oh my God, it's here. It's happening. It's right now, which is both incredibly scary, but it's a, a double down on my theory because I've been talking about this now for years. And I'm like, aha, you see, this is exactly what's starting to happen now. And it's right in front of us and it's arrived.
1: I recently listened to episode one of season seven of the IRL pod. And by now we all have this idea of what LLMs are, things like GPT-4, Claude, Llama, Bard, and we love tinkering on it. We look at funny use cases like doing your homework, for example, using these large language models. But in this episode, they talk about how it could be used to create misinformation at scale when abused by what they called sophisticated threat agents. And it made me realize that we all need to be more sophisticated users of this tech, and it really starts by educating yourself on how it works. So search for Mozilla IRL in your podcast player or visit irlpodcast.org. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Thank you to IRL for their support of this pod. You know, um, when I think back about my school days, I realized that something we talk about quite naturally in the adult world is that we have to brainstorm to solve, to solve problems and challenges. And if I think about my school days, we never brainstormed anything, right? It was (laughs) just like, learn the material, go on to the question. Mm. And then once you get into varsity, like, I think there was more of that. There was more of, okay, you have to brainstorm, but it's almost like they didn't, they still didn't teach you how to actually do this effectively. Mm. And when I think about genius, I think there's a very important thing to talk about, which is also that there's a collaborative genius that we need to tap into. Mm. And especially as we move into a world that is incredibly complex, where we do have access to all of this highly intelligent, these highly intelligent tools is that there's still going to be things that we need to solve as humans because they are complex and not just complicated. And the best way to do that is always going to be through the use of a group and people who bring diverse thinking and diverse opinions and perspectives to the table And when we do that, we get to tap the collective wisdom or the collective genius of that group. But we need to be good in how we do that. And something that you will notice is that when a group goes through a process of trying to solve a problem, there are really three things that are happening. The first is that you go into divergent thinking. So you get the group together and everyone brings all of their incredible perspectives and and ideas to the table. And I think this divergent thinking is already the start of genius because it already means let's veer off the path. Let's go look for something new and something different. I can hear the,
0: the bird that's stuck, that stuck in the house. I <laughs> huh? can you hear it. I want, I want to stop the pot that's and great. go help it get out. That's great. But, shame. but you know what? I think it's a huge blessing. For everybody listening, before we got onto the pot, I was telling Eric, I opened up the – the weather's so good in Dubai. I just opened up the doors this morning – and somehow a bird got in and I got back from my meeting and I hear birds singing in the house. I'm like, what's going on? So before we started the pot, I've like opened every window and every door in the house, but the birds still sticking around. And um, anyway, after this pot, I'm going to go into the bird to the pot. That's yes, great. Exactly. That's great. Blessings.
1: So, yeah. so you have your divergent, divergent thinking, thinking and then, yeah. then you get into what they call the grown zone. And the grown zone is where we are now kind of, rubbing up against each other and it's a bit of friction. And we, we're we trying to figure out what is the, out of all these ideas, what might be the best idea? What makes the most sense? What are we going to try? And out of that, we move into a convergent zone where we then start narrowing down and saying, hey, this is what we're going to be doing. And I think the genius aspect of, or, or collaborative genius, is being able to create a space where we have these divergent voices and opinions that are being heard, But then also that once we move into the grown zone and we are trying to kind of friction and see what ideas emerge as the best, is that we have the emotional capacity and genius to have those conversations, to not let ego get in the way, to evaluate on merit. And I think it's about how we interact with each other. So as much as we talk about individual genius, I think there's also a collaborative genius that has to be part of the conversation.
0: I absolutely agree with you, but there's one major thing we need to realize is that when you have been trained and educated to think like everybody else, there's competition. And so there's this incredible need to be heard and to be seen. When you follow your genius, you're so unique. There's only collaboration because nobody else is bringing to the party what you bring into the party. There's such a uniqueness Mm -hmm. in the way you're thinking about things. And so the major part of accessing your genius is there's no competition for you. There, There can't be. Because it's unique in the way you're thinking. There might be another handful Mm. of people around the world, but nobody's thinking the way you are. So I think collaboration is even more powerful when you're arriving in your unique power rather than 15 accountants getting around. They've all been trained in the same way. No no offense to any accountants listening to this, um, but you've all been trained in the same way. Well, I mean, I don't know who else to pick on Did, because maybe tax season is like don't well, no. top of mind for you. No, let me tell you why because uh, <laughs> it's so funny. Actually, I remember when I was about to finish school. I mean, it was like I was I was two years from finishing school, and I was looking out to see who would make the biggest salaries when they left school. And it was accountants, CAs, would mm. earn back mm. then ten thousand rand a month. I mean, I think our rent was like eight hundred rand. I don't know, whatever. It was like, it's a ten thousand rand. I don't know. In today's world, might be I don't know. whatever. It it, it was a lot of money. It was a hundred thousand dollars a month. It was like huge. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be an accountant. I want to be a CA. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to study that. Right. But they had one small problem. I don't understand accounting. (laughs) So (laughs) So I'd go sit in the accounting class. Mrs. Hart was our teacher. I was so useless, useless, and I was in the smart class because I overestimated my understanding of accountant. I was the I was the last every. Eventually, Mrs. Hart came to me and said, "Look, John, I don't think accounting's for you." I'm like, "I know, I it's not for me." So maybe a bit of uh, maybe a bit of uh, delayed bit of trauma. Yeah, a bit of trauma, yeah. delayed, a bit of pain, unprocessed trauma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Exactly. <laughs> Those damn accountants and their ten thousand rand a month. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah.
1: So circling back to, to genius, um, one thing I still that, that, that might still be tough for people is how do I know what my genius is? It feels like it should be an obvious thing, but I don't know if it's always that obvious to people. So how do people go about figuring out how they operate in the zone of genius? What does that look like? So
0: I think we have to realize that everybody finds it at different times. Justin Bieber found it when he was a kid and he started putting his drumming on YouTube and that was his genius. It's still his genius, right? So I think we all find it at different times. All of us are wired in different ways. But the very first thing we have to realize is that schooling never gave us access to our genius. So let's just start there. And what we've done is we've been so good at conforming a system that now that we talk about the system crumbling, it's almost frightening to people. So there's an emotional mm. pressure to go, well, everything I've studied is almost becoming replaced by AI and that sort of thing. Now I have to go into my genius. Oh my God, what is it? I'm panicking. So first, mm. there's a panic mm. before we even start the process. So And I think we need to alleviate that panic and say, look, your genius is consistently fueled by your excitement and curiosity. In whatever direction that curiosity and excitement moves is really leading you to your God-given purpose, your God-given ideology that you can bring to the world. And it's evolving all the time. It's not something that you don't arrive at it. It's where is it today? Where is it next? And so if I think about in my 20s, I was very, very good at working with people, running businesses, that was my genius. I loved it. I did exceptionally well at it. And as I've evolved through my life, my genius has gone towards storytelling and it's gone towards a very different type of connecting with people, but I've had it, I've allowed it to evolve. And look, I've had a, I've had a bonus. And the bonus was I was terrible at school and because I was a terrible at school, I was inadvertently looking for my genius, which I didn't realize I was doing and As I went through that process, I've now, you know, stumbled upon it and now I travel the world telling stories, which is kind of my version of genius, but also kind of brought in from my grandfather. You know, I used to sit around and listen to my grandfather tell poems and people used to come to our homes with some challenges or problems that we're having and he would recite a poem from Rumi or Hafez and then take the wisdom out of that poem and then tell them how it's relating to their lives and how they need to apply it. And I was five years old, six, ten years old, whatever, listening to this. So I think I've had storytelling embedded into my, I don't know, brain, but I've also got it in my lineage. And so I've been able to access it both based on where I come from and who I am and what my family structure is, as well as the, the process of now modernizing it and bringing it into the world. So I think firstly, don't panic. Secondly, it's always evolving. It's not somewhere you arrive. And thirdly, also remember that we've got this idea that you can never make money out of your passion and your genius. That's an old story and an old paradigm. Lots of people are. And it's and it also says, look, I'm also I love beach bats. It's also a passion of mine. It's not a business I went into. So you don't have to go down into every business that you are passionate about. So you love dogs, Eric, what you're not going to go. You might go into the dog business, but it doesn't necessarily, you need to have to. Yeah. What?
1: No, no. uh, Might very, very well go into that
0: business. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm saying, look, when you, when you love something that much, you're curious about it. you. You can go down it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you have to go down everything you're curious about. You also have to be discerning around that. And so I love clothing. But, I mean, I'm not going into clothing because, I don't know, it's not something I want to be mm. doing. So, yeah. yeah. I think,
1: you know, if I listen to, to what you're saying, there's also there's passion and then there's obsession. And, and I do think that your zone of genius might be bordering closer to the obsession part than to, the, like, the passion part. And if I put that into context for where I'm at, when, like, a, a big passion of mine that has kind of evolved over the past maybe two or three years has been photography and videography. Mm, and watched, I, really, yeah. I mean, I've, I've bought expensive gear for that, and I like things. We've had about, we've had a whole pod in your addiction, you know,
0: Eric. We know we know all about that. Yeah, well,
1: <laughs> but uh, but but this is fueled by this obsession, like or this passion of like I really enjoy photography and videography. And if you if you catch me on YouTube lately, you'll often find me watching like photography tutorials oh, and wow. it kind of soothes me and I, I enjoy watching it. And I'm thinking a lot about the process of it and what might I do with it and how might I integrate it into the work that I'm currently doing. But I'm never going to be a photographer that gets paid for that work. Yeah. Um, it gets integrated into making what I do currently yeah. making that better. Yeah. So, so there's the passion aspect of it. Um and that's on my zone of genius. It's just like, it's just something that I really enjoy that mm. I can see how I integrate it into my zone of genius, which mm. would be working with leaders and teams mm. and speaking. Like, mm. I feel like that's where I'm operating in my zone of genius the most. And it's, it's quite mm. funny when I think of it. It's also very largely informed by how I grew up. My dad was a pastor,
0: oh, right. which there means
1: like mm. to, today I have a lot more respect and understanding for the fact that he wrote a keynote every single week Yes. He delivered a brand new keynote every single week, yes. which like never asked me to do that. Yes. Um, but uh, I watched him in action on a podium every single week, delivering stories, moving people to tears. So um, I got that part from him. And then my mom has a doctorate in psychology. So it's like I came out as the perfect mix between the two. Yes, yes. So, yeah, it's interesting that this, I can also trace it back to, to part of how I grew up. And then um, I think there's also just a a very important self-awareness part that there's this saying that success leaves clues. And I think if you go and just sit down and just look at the things that you've enjoyed, highlights in your life, things where you felt naturally good, Mm -hmm. where, and actually I read a thing that said um, when I was reading through, have you heard Gay Hendricks' book, The Big Leap? So there's a book, The The Big Leap, and it, it talks about, your zone of genius. And so like one of the things he does is he contrasts uh, your zone of competence with your zone of genius. Right. And your zone of competence is just where you do things that you are good at. Uh, And this might be, for example, photography for me or videography. And then your zone of genius, he said, is where you have an expansive potential. And so that might be another way of just thinking about that zone of genius for you is where the things where you feel like when you get into it, like you feel like the opportunity and the ability to be better is just unlimited and expansive in front of you.
0: Love that. Love that. That's, that's, that's great. I mean, another way of calling it is guy, right? Like, what are you good yes. at? What does the world need? All, I think that's a bit too scientific for me. I'm a bit more abstract in the way I think about things. And so for me, it's so obvious what genius is. But I understand the technicality of it. People need to understand mm-hmm. and how they need to follow it. And, but I don't think it's a logical process. you know. I think it's a fluid emotional process to actually access it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of unlearning to do from the old way of fitting in, in order to be able to access this new way of adding value. But to all the listeners that are out there, it's always great to have you here. But we have really and truly arrived at an inflection point. If you haven't looked up the GPTs and the Humane, I highly recommend you do. We're about to start to see brand new versions of technology being launched, brand new ways for us to be accessing services for almost nothing And this is affecting all of us. We're all in the same boat together. And this is something that we really have to start to take seriously and think about much deeper. Uh, So don't be scared. Don't be fearful. Catalyze yourself into moving towards accessing this genius and through your curiosity. And there's many, many different ways that we can actually skin this cat. And uh, I'm excited about it. But of course, there's always a little bit of trepidation into, wow, so much is changing so quickly. But here we are. And uh, stay with us. Stay tuned, because we're going to be tracking this and applying it to ourselves and sharing what we're doing as well.
1: Yeah, that's a great outro. Thank you for that. Uh, Brother, it was good catching up with you. It was uh, great having a conversation around genius and how to access it. Um, And as you've mentioned, how important it is uh, for us to be able to do that in today's uh, day and age. And especially as we move forward and things keep evolving and changing very rapidly. So uh, thank you for that. And to everyone listening, as always, we love having you along on the journey, whether you are listening to us, while doing the dishes or while you're on a run or while you're at the gym. Uh, We love being a part of your journey as well. Uh, If you want to, we love seeing your appreciation for the pod to come through in a review, uh, a five-star review, of course, on iTunes. And as always, we'll be back in your earbuds next week. Uh, Also, just a quick note here, you might have noticed that there is a new sponsor for the pod. Uh, we have partnered with Mozilla uh, and their incredible podcast called IRL. Uh, IRL is In Real Life. Um, and it's really the first sponsor that we've had on the pod now that I come to think of it. Um, over, over the years, we've kind of advertised some of our own things, uh, but we've decided that to get the pod to the next level, we also need to partner with brands that we respect and brands that are expansive in the way that they do things. And I, I mean, I, I have very fond memories of Mozilla as it is. Uh, and so to be able to attach the Mozilla brand to the expanse for me personally is a very proud moment. Um, so you'll notice that you'll you'll hear some ads from Mozilla and from us about their new podcast, IRL. We highly encourage you to check it out. And we'll be back again next week. John, go, go save that bird. Go save that bird. I'm going
0: to go save it. Cool. It's still <laughs> singing right now. It's calling me. Ciao, everybody.
1: Cool. Ciao.